Chapter Fifteen of Abraham Lincoln: A History, Volume Eight. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Warren Cotty, Gurney, Illinois. Abraham Lincoln: A History, Volume Eight, by John Hay and John George Nicolay chapter fifteen spotsylvania and cold harbor both armies had marched during the night of the seventh and eighth under misapprehensions which were full of hope and encouragement lee imagining that grant was repeating the retrograde movement of hooker threw forward his right to cut off his enemy's retreat to fredericksburg while on the other hand when grant in the deepening night rode with his staff in advance of warren's corps behind hancock's troops in position and it was seen the line of march pointed to richmond instead of washington the enthusiasm of the troops burst out in long and vociferous cheering it was thought that the sanguinary struggle in the wilderness was over and that an honest fight on a fair field would soon give them the fruits of a victorious campaign an equally bitter disillusion greeted both commanders on the morning of the eighth lee found that grant was neither beaten nor retreating and grant who had hoped to pass round the right wing of lee so as to force a battle in the open or a race for richmond found before the day ended the whole army of northern virginia fortressed on the hills of spotsylvania directly in his path he did not indeed recognize this unwelcome fact until afternoon and had actually directed an order of march southward to be prepared before he was convinced that lee was concentrated before him the necessity of battle was not so strong here as at the wilderness general humphrey says quote, sufficiently good roads southward lay open to us on either side by which if we did not attack in front we could have moved to turn either flank unquote. but grant's genius was essentially offensive if the advantages of fighting or not fighting were evenly balanced he was sure to fight he determined to attack lee in position and at least twice during the week of battles that followed his furious assaults came so near to overwhelming success that most military critics have been led to justify his resolution it was half-past eight on the morning of the eighth before warren's advance made its way through the dense woods impeded at every step by the gallant resistance of fitzhugh lee's cavalry to the more open ground of alsop's about two and a half miles from the courthouse and from that point there was continuous and heavy fighting for a mile to the forks of the brock and old courthouse roads when the union troops came upon the entrenched division of kershaw and made no further progress the sixth corps under sedgwick came up later on warren's left and both these able commanders were ordered to attack it was however late in the day there was no adequate time for preparation the ground was absolutely new and the attack failed both sides passed the night in strengthening their positions the next day hancock went into position on the right beyond the work of entrenching little was done on the ninth except that there was a hot fire of skirmishers and sharpshooters in the course of which general sedgwick was killed 
a soldier of tried valor and merit as modest and amiable as he was intelligent and brave general horatio g wright an officer of the same high character succeeded him in command of the sixth corps burnside's corps came up on the extreme left and for still another day the work of entrenching and observation went on on the confederate side the entrenchments defended by the corps of longstreet commanded by r h anderson ewell and hill commanded by early stretched from left to right in an irregular semicircle from the blockhouse bridge over the po on the left to snell's bridge over the same river on the right with a bold salient jutting out a mile to the north it was a line of extraordinary strength the works were almost everywhere concealed by a scrubby growth of brush lines of access were broken by ragged ravines bristling with artillery in the judgment of the most dispassionate of critics quote, the strength of an army sustaining attack was more than quadrupled provided they had force enough to man the entrenchments well unquote. yet against this triple line of tangled thicket of massive earthworks and of brave men grant resolved to throw his utmost strength confident that if he could once break it his summer's task would be virtually accomplished there was a moment indeed in which it had seemed possible that the left flank of this formidable position might be turned and lee driven out of it without the enormous cost which subsequently became necessary hancock crossed the po on the evening of the ninth and gained a position which constituted general early says quote, a very threatening danger unquote, to lee's left completely enfilading it and commanding the line of the confederate communications to their rear but on the morning of the tenth grant concluded to strike in front and ordered hancock to withdraw his troops from the south side of the po and to arrange a vigorous attack in company with warren at five o'clock gibbon and burney were therefore withdrawn and later barlow in retiring under orders was furiously attacked by hess's division of hill's corps barlow made a gallant fight repulsing every attack made on him and recrossing the river in admirable order under a destructive fire this apparent victory gave great encouragement to the confederates who of course could not know that barlow was retiring under imperative orders in the afternoon the conditions for assault seemed so favorable that the attack was made a little earlier than had been ordered warren with three divisions tore through the obstacles in front of him and his troops with splendid bravery although disordered by their struggle through the dense woods reached the entrenchments only to be swept away by the murderous fire some were killed even in the enemy's works the gallant general james c rice fell in this assault the attack was renewed two hours later with perfect spirit two divisions of hancock joining but with equal ill fortune the sixth corps assaulted at the same time and having the advantage of better ground was at first brilliantly successful the storming party led by colonel emory upton a young officer of the finest education and most daring courage struck the west side of the mccool salient the bloody angle which jutted out nearly a mile beyond the main confederate line with such compactness and energy that it poured over the parapet unchecked by a terrible fire in front and flank and after a desperate grapple 
hand to hand broke the confederate line capturing many prisoners right and left and pushing forward seized the second line of entrenchments with its guns if the supporting column had been on the ground ready to pour through the opening upton had made the damage to the confederates would have been irreparable but mott's division had been so roughly handled in its advance that it failed to arrive in time upton's men unwilling to give up their splendid prize held the salient under heavy assaults from both sides but retired at last under orders about nightfall upton was promoted brigadier-general next day he had most worthily won his stars colonel carroll shared the same honor soon after they were brought up to receive the personal thanks and compliments of the lieutenant-general both of them bandaged and pale from loss of blood the day was notable for successes almost achieved as we have seen general hancock turned the confederate left in the morning and then was ordered to draw off his troops upton broke their centre but for lack of support had to be withdrawn and burnside who commanded the union left wing completely turned lee's right while the assault on the front was going on but neither he nor grant being conscious of the advantage acquired burnside was ordered to connect with wright and the position so easily gained was thus lost the eleventh passed by in inactivity the nature of the ground was so unfavorable for offensive operations that general lee wisely refrained from them and grant was busily preparing for the supreme effort of the campaign the second assault of the mccool salient he had not met either at the wilderness or at spotsylvania with all the success which he had anticipated he had been forced to fight upon ground chosen by the enemy under circumstances so unfavorable to himself as to neutralize all the advantage of his superior numbers his magnificent artillery had been rendered so useless to him that he at last sent his entire reserve of that formidable arm back to washington after six days of slaughter he could as yet point to no substantial result of so much labor and blood but these circumstances incomparably more discouraging than those to which hooker had so promptly succumbed did not daunt for an instant the indomitable heart of grant his intellect as well as his temperament naturally rejected the gloomy view of things he wrote to halleck on the morning of the eleventh of may quote, we have now ended the sixth day of very hard fighting the result up to this time is much in our favor unquote. he is frank as to his heavy losses but thinks those of the enemy must be greater he ends his first paragraph with the famous phrase quote, i propose to fight it out on this line if it takes all summer unquote. there is not a word of boasting or of complaint he wants all the reinforcements the government can send and they quote, will be very encouraging to the men unquote. at the close of his dispatch his peculiar trait asserts itself of looking away from the condition of his own army and surmising the distress of his adversary a faculty we have seen impossible to mcclellan and others quote, i am satisfied he says the enemy are very shaky and are only kept up to the mark by the greatest exertions on the part of their officers and by keeping them entrenched in every position they take unquote. even if this impression was somewhat exaggerated it was far more conducive to coolness and activity than mcclellan's fault of multiplying the force of an enemy till quote, 
the nodding of their plumes fanned him in despair unquote. on the afternoon of the eleventh grant made preparations for an assault at the apex of the salient by hancock's troops at dawn the next morning little was even yet known of the enemy's works or of the country between them but there was some open ground north of the salient and a line drawn on his imperfect map from brown's farmhouse in the union line to one within the rebel works was the direction for attack in a drenching rain hancock concentrated his troops barlow on the left bernie on the right and waited for the dawn which came slowly heavy and thick with fog and showers it was four thirty five before there was light enough to march by hancock gave the order to advance and the men rushed forward to the earthworks which loomed portentously through the mist shouting and cheering they tore away the abatis with their hands and poured like a breaking wave over the parapet barlow and bernie were over almost at the same instant there was scant room for firing a fierce bayonet fight took place but the hand-to-hand -hand grapple could not last long edward johnson's whole division of ewell's corps was captured general johnson and brigadier general george h stuart being among the prisoners hancock's victorious troops swept down the reverse of the entrenchments through the woods nearly a mile toward spotsylvania until they struck a strong line of works running east and west across the base of the salient the existence of which had been hitherto unknown these were heavily manned their possession was vital to lee's army he hurried reinforcements to this point from every hand and soon checked hancock's troops who were somewhat disorganized by their victory and their hot pursuit and in turn forced them back to the works they had first taken but here they stood fast they established themselves on both sides of the apex of the salient and could not be dislodged one of the most furious battles of the war raged all day about this bloody angle the opposing flags were planted again and again on either side of the breastworks men were killed by bayonet thrusts over the logs prisoners were pulled over on both sides occasionally a white flag would be shown and a few rebels would leap the barrier and surrender to get out of the deadly hail of bullets the thickets were withered by the fire large trees were cut down by the missiles the dead piled upon each other the trenches had to be cleared of them more than once wright was ordered to the support of hancock he was wounded in his advance but kept the field all day and his corps fought side by side with the second until nightfall north and south never proved their essential brotherhood more magnificently there was no especial advantage of position no skill of tactics brought into play they both fought to kill with undaunted spirit from the first flush of dawn through the misty morning the dull rainy day to the black night on the right warren with the fifth corps pushed forward his skirmish line and opened with his artillery he found the works in his front so strongly held by longstreet's corps under anderson that he thought it impudent to assault them he reported this but his report was taken ill by general grant who ordered him at a quarter past nine to attack with his whole force he did so and met with a severe repulse humphreys who saw the attack could not succeed gave orders for it to cease and had the troops transferred to the centre to assist in operations there on the left burnside also attacked with great energy general potter's division carried the entrenchments held by the left of hill's corps under early 
but could not hold them in face of the fresh troops which were at once hurried up to retake them in all the corps the casualties were heavy the total amounting to six thousand killed and wounded hancock suffered the greatest loss over two thousand men warren and wright about one thousand each and burnside more the confederate loss is matter of conjecture and estimate as it was never reported but general humphreys puts it at between nine thousand and ten thousand killed wounded and prisoners which would make their killed and wounded about the same as those of the national forces their loss in general officers was especially severe e johnson and stewart captured junius daniel and abner perrin killed and james a walker s d ramsier r d johnston and samuel mcgowan seriously wounded on the union side wright alexander s webb and samuel s carroll were wounded it is hard to compute upon which side was the advantage of all this toil and carnage still it would seem that the greater proportionate damage fell to lee his material losses were harder for him to make good and the holding of the salient was to grant the moral trophy of victory in the night the confederates abandoned the attempt to regain the angle of death and fell back to the inner line three-quarters of a mile in the rear where in turn they stood defiant of attack grant telephoning to halleck on the evening of the twelfth an account of his harvest of prisoners on this quote, eighth day of battle said the enemy are obstinate and seem to have found the last ditch unquote. the next day general grant was called upon to choose whether he would move by the right or left flank if he moved by the right lee would have been forced to abandon his entrenchments and fall back to the north anna as this was not desired the move to the left was decided upon it was hoped that a blow might be struck at lee's right flank before his entrenchments were extended further in that direction and to this end warren and wright were ordered to move during the night of the thirteenth to burnside's left warren was to attack at daylight of the fourteenth and wright to go in on his left but as so often happened in this campaign more was demanded of the men than was physically possible the night was dark as pitch a heavy rain fell turning the roads to mire impassable unless corduroyed in spite of the most intelligent precautions and the most arduous efforts on the part of the commanders the head of the column could not be brought through the sea of mud to the point where they were to attack before six o'clock and the command could not be got ready for work that day there was a sharp skirmish on the union left for the possession of a hill in wright's front which the national forces at last held and fortified but the day was lost and the movement which with ordinary weather should have succeeded failed by the morning of the fifteenth the enemy had shifted his troops from his left to his right and had strongly entrenched himself in front of the new union lines the stormy weather prevented active operations for more than a week grant on the sixteenth wrote reporting quote, five days almost constant rain without any prospect yet of it clearing up roads impassable all offensive operations necessarily cease until we can have twenty-four hours of dry weather unquote. but he says the army is in the best of spirits that hostilities are suspended only by the weather and not through exhaustion or weakness of the national army during these days of delay some reinforcements arrived but they were not so numerous as has sometimes been pretended the estimated force sent to the army of the potomac between the fourth of may and the twelfth of june 
was not equal to the casualties in battle and during this time some thirty-six regiments were mustered out and discharged by expiration of their term of service general lee also received very considerable reinforcements during his retrograde movement from the rapidan to the james beauregard having driven butler back from before richmond r f hoke not being needed in north carolina and the forests with which breckinridge had defeated seigel in the valley being set free to join lee the army of northern virginia received the valuable addition of some fifteen thousand veteran troops thoroughly inured to war and with the prestige and morale of recent victory general grant before continuing his movement by the left towards richmond made one final assault on the morning of the eighteenth upon the works at the base of the salient which had now become lee's left flank though made with vigor and energy by the veterans of the second and sixth corps and assisted by a strong demonstration on burnside's front it was unsuccessful the works had been so strengthened and were so well defended that the union forces lost heavily and inflicted little damage on the other side the eighteenth was altogether a gloomy day for grant from every quarter came news of reverses butler had been defeated at drury's bluff seigel had been badly whipped in the valley banks had met with disaster in louisiana his plan of concerted movement along the line was not resulting as favorably as he had hoped but he wasted not a moment in regrets as soon as the attack on lee's left had failed he issued orders for a movement by the left flank to be begun the next night but before this movement commenced lee with singular intuition suspected it and in order to make sure he sent ewell with a force of six thousand men to make an attack on grant's right he struck tyler's division of raw recruits about half past five on the fredericksburg road a sharp fight ensued hancock and warren sent over some of their troops and ewell was severely repulsed losing nearly a thousand men early's corps had been held ready to cooperate in case ewell's attack should be successful but the latter having been compelled to retire early's movement was given up this action lasting until nine o'clock delayed the movement to the left which had been ordered for that night but the orders were repeated the next day and on the night of the twentieth hancock moved out with the second corps and pushed by daybreak as far as guinea station his cavalry under general a t a torbert cleared the way before him fighting and capturing some prisoners on the way to milford bridge across the mattapony barlow's division was across the river and strongly entrenched by midday the rest of the army swiftly followed but nothing escaped the vigilance of lee early in the morning he telegraphed to richmond that the enemy was apparently changing his base and that he was himself extending on the telegraph road it was general grant's hope that lee on discovering hancock's isolated position might leave his entrenchments to attack him in that case grant would follow closely with the other three corps and try to get a battle out of lee in the open field but lee did nothing of the kind and general grant in his memoirs rather inconsistently criticizes him for not having done what he avowedly wished him to do considering that lee had lost almost as heavily as grant in the last terrible fortnight and that while the union loss amounted to a third of the army with which the campaign opened thirty seven thousand three hundred thirty five is the dreadful total of losses according to general humphreys at the wilderness and spotsylvania that of the confederates if it approached the same total 
deprived them of half their force general lee cannot justly be reproached for a lack of enterprise in declining a battle in the open field on any conditions he was likely to be offered it must be said he acted wisely in availing himself of the interior line open to him and in proceeding with the utmost celerity by the telegraph road to plant himself on a position where he could once more with all his skill as an engineer and a topographer bar the way to richmond in the face of his formidable adversary on the other hand humphreys admits with his usual candor that the circuitous route pursued by the union army several miles longer than that which was left to lee was an error if hancock had moved by the telegraph road a collision in open ground might have been brought about before lee could entrench in new ground so late as the morning of the twenty second general lee who had then arrived at hanover junction does not seem to have ascertained the purpose or the whereabouts of grant he thought him at that time east of the mattapony but later in the same day his cavalry brought him news that the whole army of the potomac was west of that river and he immediately disposed his force to meet grant on the banks of the north anna although no great battle was fought there it will probably be considered by military students that both the opposing generals made exhibition on the banks of that little river of their most characteristic qualities the story can be briefly told warren commanding the union right crossed at jericho mills on the twenty third and was furiously attacked by a p hill who had recovered his health and resumed command of his corps warren in a sharp fight repulsed the enemy and took up a strong position which he soon made impregnable hancock carried the works on the north side of the stream which covered the railroad and telegraph bridges and the next morning crossed over and established himself firmly on the other side burnside who was to cross at oxford in the centre found lee's army in force on the south side and could do nothing there his force was divided a portion joining warren above and another portion hancock below the situation was one of the gravest peril to grant his two wings both south of the river were separated by lee's army which occupied a formidable position on the river bank with its flanks perfectly protected by marsh and thicket if lee had chosen to attack either detachment of his enemy he might have thrown his whole force upon a given point in one-third of the time which it would have taken grant to reinforce one wing by the other there was not only the distance of six miles between them but a river to be twice crossed but the result of a defeat would have been to lee so disastrous that he will not perhaps be blamed for excessive caution in this instance especially in view of the defeat which warren had inflicted upon hill grant was however completely checkmated lee's position was too strong to assault so he coolly resolved to recross the river and continue his flank march to the left grant accomplished the difficult and delicate task of recrossing the river under the very eyes of the enemy with extraordinary ability and success and set off upon his usual flank march to the left without the slightest apparent feeling of chagrin or disappointment he announced his intention in a dispatch of the twenty sixth of may which is full of character after describing the relative positions of the two armies he said quote, to make a direct attack from either wing would cause a slaughter of our men that even success would not justify to turn the enemy by his right between the two annas is impossible on account of the swamp upon which his right rests unquote. on his left there were three difficult streams to be crossed 
he therefore determined to cross at hanover town he wished his base of supplies changed from port royal to the white house the tone of his dispatch was something to which the government had never been accustomed from that region Quote, lee's army he said is really whipped the prisoners we now take show it and the action of his army shows it unmistakably a battle with them outside of our entrenchments cannot be had our men feel that they have gained the morale over the enemy and attack him with confidence i may be mistaken but i feel that our success over lee's army is already assured the promptness and rapidity with which you have forwarded reinforcements has contributed largely to the feeling of confidence inspired in our men and to break down that of the enemy Unquote. nothing like this had ever been before received from a commander of the army of the potomac a man was now in charge of affairs who respected the government behind him more than the enemy in front grant hardly hoped at this time to interpose his army between lee and richmond but he did expect to hold him so far to the west as quote, to reach the james river high up unquote. he put his army in motion on the night of the twenty sixth of may and the next day his advance under sheridan crossed the pamunkey river at hanover town some thirty-two miles by the shortest route from his camp on the north anna the rest of the army got over the next day but it was only to find the army of lee awaiting them on the banks of the totopotomoy a creek which flows into the pamunkey below hanover town it is claimed in behalf of lee that he had no desire to detain grant on the pamunkey as that would have enabled him to reinforce butler and take richmond from the south he therefore preferred to hold grant on the totopotomoy so that being nearer to richmond lee might observe the whole field more intelligently and secure a readier cooperation of all his forces heavy skirmishing on the twenty ninth and thirtieth showed that the two armies were once more face to face lee with his three corps a p hills longstreet's commanded by anderson and ewell's for the moment commanded by early lay entrenched on a line from atley's on the central road almost to cold harbor warren held the union left on the shady grove road then came burnside hancock and wright who was about six miles southeast of hanover courthouse sheridan with two divisions of cavalry observed the left front towards cold harbor j h wilson with one cavalry division was operating on the union right the first fight was to be for the possession of cold harbor in this w f smith's force which had been ordered north of the james was to join as a great part of general butler's force was now to unite with the army of the potomac this is the most convenient place to survey briefly what his work had been in the eventful three weeks during which the long and terrible battle had been drifting from the rapidan to the chickahominy it was not general grant's desire that the force which was to cooperate with him by an advance upon richmond from fort monroe should be commanded by general butler in person he would have preferred that butler should remain in command of the department and that general william f smith who had won his favor by his admirable services at chattanooga should have direction of this important column but as butler naturally insisted upon his claim to the immediate command of his own troops grant yielded his preference in the matter his orders were general though extremely clear butler was informed that richmond was his objective he was to move on city point on the fifth entrench and concentrate and operate on richmond from the south side of the river 
if lee should fall back before richmond butler was to unite with grant if he were to invest richmond from the south so that his left could rest on the james the junction of the two armies was to take place there and in case the army of the potomac should approach from that quarter butler was to attack vigorously and either carry the city or assist grant by detaining a large force of the enemy on that side he had a fine army under his orders the tenth corps commanded by general gilmore who at his own request had been ordered up from south carolina and the eighteenth under w f smith in all six excellent divisions numbering in the aggregate some thirty two thousand men under able generals and three thousand cavalry under a v Coutts. grant had with his usual indifference to personal considerations given butler of whom he was not fond the opportunity of striking the great coup of the war while he himself was engaged in a desperate struggle with lee's army on the rapidan butler made his landing at bermuda hundred without opposition and his troops on the sixth of may entrenched themselves on a line three miles long stretching from port walthall on the appomattox to trent's reach on the james smith held the right gilmore the left richmond and petersburg were at this time very feebly garrisoned beauregard had been put in charge of the defense and was straining every nerve to bring troops to the rescue but when butler moved and for a week thereafter there was no adequate force either in richmond or petersburg if those places had been vigorously attacked butler acted with unaccountable slowness from the seventh to the ninth nothing of importance was accomplished except that on the last of these days six miles of the richmond and petersburg railroad immediately in front of his lines was destroyed and Coutts, with his cavalry did considerable damage to the weldon road general butler was so well satisfied with this that when on the evening of the ninth gilmore and smith proposed to him to cross the appomattox and capture petersburg he refused his consent to the movement day by day beauregard strengthened himself and posted his reinforcements at the points where they were most needed so that when at last on the fourteenth butler moved out against the enemy at drury's bluff he found him in powerful entrenchments heavily manned in force nearly equal to his own a great and justifiable anxiety had prevailed in richmond for nine days when butler landed at city point both petersburg and the confederate capital were almost defenseless not more than six thousand men could be found to man the works the dispatches between the rebel war office and pickett and afterwards beauregard are full of panic so late as the tenth seddon says quote, this city is in hot danger it should be defended with all our resources to the sacrifice of minor considerations unquote. The situation was in fact of the gravest character, with Lee grappling in a life-and-death struggle on the Spotsylvania hills, with Sheridan breaking to pieces the renowned Confederate cavalry, with Butler at their gates on the head of an army which Grant thought should have taken Richmond with a single rush, it was a time for supreme exertions, but General Beauregard would have been untrue to himself if he had let pass so fine an opportunity for controversy with his superiors in the midst of this imperative crisis he laid before general bragg his commanding general an elaborate plan the main features of which were that lee should fall back before grant to the chickahominy that he should then send beauregard fifteen thousand men with which reinforcement beauregard would destroy butler and then take his whole army to lee and destroy grant 
they must concentrate or starve he urged this plan would but anticipate what must ultimately be done there is a direct contradiction between bragg and beauregard as to the manner in which these suggestions were received beauregard insists that davis and bragg both received them favorably and although they could not venture to withdraw troops from lee at such a time they reinforced beauregard with five thousand men and enabled him to attack butler while bragg in a memorandum dated the nineteenth severely condemns the whole plan on the ground that it would involve such delay as to exhaust their subsistence that it would allow the enemy to strengthen himself by entrenching that it would involve the fall of petersburg that a retreat of sixty miles by general lee might destroy his army that it would abandon a territory rich in stores that it would lose the valley of virginia and the central railroad and finally that it was unnecessary as beauregard had already a force of twenty three thousand men enough to whip butler if properly handled beauregard was therefore sharply enjoined to attack delay mr seddon urged would be fatal quote, by wednesday our fate will in all probability be settled unquote. the confederate authorities had used the most strenuous exertions to bring troops to richmond the answers of some of their generals to their appeals show the strain to which they were subjecting their resources general samuel jones having been ordered to send a brigade from florida says he will obey but adds with a simplicity which is full of ominous meaning quote, i greatly doubt if one half of the men ordered will leave florida and my order will cause desertions and disorganizations unquote. general beauregard having refreshed himself with his customary dispute with the richmond officials prepared to attack butler energetically on the morning of the sixteenth butler's forward movement had not only been brought to impotence by the heavy force and the strong entrenchments he had given his adversary the leisure to accumulate across his path at drury's bluff he had also made a faulty disposition of his line leaving his right unguarded and open to easy approach from the river road beauregard's object was attacking by that side to cut him off from bermuda hundred and capture or destroy him ransom was turned to his right hoke to attack in the centre colquitt being held in reserve while whiting was to come up from petersburg and strike the rear or left flank this plan well combined as it was had only a partial success a dense fog confused the movements of both sides it gave ransom the opportunity to strike smith's right by surprise and to capture general c a heckman and a portion of his brigade but his front withstood successfully all the assaults made upon it and gilmore was able not only to repulse hoke's attack upon him but also to send help to smith the morning wore on in a blundering series of movements and orders made and countermanded as the fog lifted and fell beauregard did not pursue with any effectiveness his early advantage on the right yet butler was so impressed by the menace to his rear that he at last ordered smith to fall back and gilmore to keep in connection with him until about noon they both established themselves firmly across the turnpike and the roads east of it and kept that position the rest of the day whiting took no part in the battle he was checked by ames's division at the walthall junction six miles to the south and as often happened in the course of the war from atmospheric conditions and the direction of the wind hearing no sound of the fight and receiving erroneous news of an advance from city point 
he fell back to swift creek it was night before he received beauregard's order to aid in the advance dated at four fifteen and he replied that the hour was too late for him to act a furious rainstorm came on in the afternoon and at night butler fell back to bermuda hundred beauregard reported a loss in this engagement of two thousand one hundred eighty four that of butler was thirty five hundred of which fourteen hundred were prisoners the killed and wounded being almost exactly equal but the substantial victory was of course with beauregard though he did not accomplish all he had hoped he had saved richmond for the time and had shut up butler in his entrenchments between the two rivers quote, as a bottle strongly corked unquote. the news of the fruitless ending of the campaign south of the james came to grant on the twenty second of may while he was moving south from spotsylvania and accepting the situation with his usual decision he ordered butler to keep only enough of his army to hold his works and to send the rest under smith to join the army of the potomac they began to arrive at the white house about noon on the thirtieth of may beauregard had already received similar orders from richmond and pickett joined lee at hanover junction while hoke's division came up in time for cold harbor there was a sharp collision on the thirty-first between sheridan and fitzhugh lee on the union extreme left for the possession of cold harbor an important point as it was the centre of a network of roads leading to the bridges of the chickahominy the enemy received an infantry reinforcement late in the day but sheridan held fast and in the night turned the breastworks he had captured against the confederates and in the morning was relieved by smith's command wright also got up in the afternoon of the first of june and at six o'clock he and smith advanced upon the enemy's works which crossed the road between cold harbor and new cold harbor the first line was carried in fine style though with severe loss in men and especially in valuable officers and both corps at once entrenched the positions they had gained during this attack there was heavy skirmishing between the corps not engaged and the enemy opposite them the next day was spent in getting the troops into position for an assault of the enemy's works in force lee observing the movement to the left sent early to strike the union right flank which effort met with a severe repulse in which the confederate general george doles was killed the attempt to break through the enemy's entrenchments on the third of june failed so disastrously it had been so unsparingly condemned by military critics and so candidly acknowledged to be an error by general grant himself that we are apt to lose sight of the motive which prompted it the right and left wings of lee were unassailable from the nature of the ground the front only appeared possible to attack grant was unwilling to go to the south side of the james without one more attempt to accomplish the purpose with which he had opened the campaign to destroy lee's army north of richmond if he had succeeded at cold harbor he might have achieved that great result he knew the task was difficult it proved to be impossible he inflicted upon the heroic army of the potomac one of its most terrible defeats as he says himself quote, without compensation unquote. there was no lack of energy or soldiership in the assault the army never rushed to battle with more splendid ardor than in the early dawn of the third of june hancock wright and smith 
sent their veterans forward at the hour named with an impulse which would have been irresistible if the work assigned them had been possible in the second corps barlow advancing under a withering fire actually seized a portion of the works capturing a color some guns and prisoners but it was not possible to stay under the rain of musketry and the enfilading fire of artillery concentrated on them by breckinridge and hill they were forced out again though they retired less than seventy-five yards and entrenched themselves under a destructive fire gibbon's force was cut in two by an impassable swamp which widened as it approached the enemy his severed division advanced gallantly however young colonel james p mcmahon mounting the breastworks with a few of his men and falling dead in the enemy's hands beside his colors wright's corps went forward with equal spirit carrying the enemy's rifle pits and assaulting the main line unsuccessfully and with heavy loss but retiring only a few yards and entrenching themselves smith with the eighteenth corps also did all that brave men could do his divisions were torn to rags in their assault several times the attack repulsed by a fire which may fitly be called infernal was renewed until general grant learning from all his corps commanders that they were not sanguine of success ordered the attack to cease burnside and warren meanwhile had been demonstrating on the right burnside captured some of the enemy's rifle pits and warren repulsed a vigorous attack of john b gordon but the nature of the ground in front of them prevented any advance at night the two armies lay so close together that their pickets were continually coming into collision and the officers on both sides reported themselves attacked by the enemy the day's loss on the union side was frightful considering the short time the troops were actually engaged between five thousand and six thousand and even these appalling figures do not give an adequate idea of the damage done the men destroyed were of the flower of the army of the potomac inured to the service by years of march and battle the valor with which they were led was proved by the list of brigade and regimental commanders who fell in the desperate charge in barlow's division colonels richard barnes and orlando h morris were killed and john r brooke wounded in gibbons general robert o tyler was severely wounded henry b mckean another brigade commander was killed his place was taken by colonel frank a haskell who was killed a few minutes later mcmahon's heroic death has been already mentioned and colonel peter a porter a gentleman of the finest strain in breeding and in character was another among the sixty-five officers lost in this single division the eighteenth corps lost on the first and third four regimental commanders fred f weed edgar perry hiram anderson jr and marshall the loss of the confederate side was small standing safely within their impregnable entrenchments they slaughtered their assailants at their leisure it was the useless carnage of mary's hill repeated in the same way general grant had followed the example of some of his predecessors and given general lee a victory gratis in his memoirs written with the candor and conscience of a man in the presence of death he deals himself this just and severe sentence quote, i have always regretted that the last assault at cold harbor was ever made no advantage whatever was gained to compensate for the heavy loss we sustained indeed the advantages other than those of relative losses were on the confederate side 
before that the army of northern virginia seemed to have acquired a wholesome regard for the courage endurance and soldierly qualities generally of the army of the potomac they seemed to have given up any idea of gaining any advantage of their antagonist in the open field they had come to much prefer breastworks in their front to the army of the potomac this charge seemed to revive their hopes temporarily but it was of short duration the effect upon the army of the potomac was the reverse when we reached the james river however all effects of the battle of cold harbor seemed to have disappeared Unquote. there was perhaps a compensation for this disaster which general grant does not mention it made him always thereafter careful and economical of his soldiers blood from the third of june to the end of the war he never wasted a life by the fifth of june he had thought out the problem before him and was ready to act and his action was in the highest degree characteristic he did not like his predecessor in defeat on that same ground turn and rail at the government for his disaster and ask for impossible reinforcements he accepted with manly fortitude the partial failure of his plan of campaign he had hoped to disable lee north of richmond finding this impracticable he now determined to assail that city and its communications from the south he made known his intentions to general halleck in a dispatch of remarkable clearness and strength Quote, a full survey of all the ground satisfies me that it would be impracticable to hold a line northeast of richmond that would protect the fredericksburg railroad to enable us to use that road for supplying the army my idea from the start has been to beat lee's army if possible north of richmond then after destroying his lines of communication on the north side of the james river to transfer the army to the south side and besiege lee in richmond or follow him south if he should retreat i now find after over thirty days of trial the enemy deems it of the first importance to run no risks with the armies they now have they act purely on the defensive behind breastworks or feebly on the offensive immediately in front of them and where in case of repulse they can instantly retire behind them without a greater sacrifice of human life than i am willing to make all cannot be accomplished that i had designed outside of the city Unquote. he then sets forth the plan he has adopted to destroy the central road some twenty-five miles west of beaver dam then to move to the south side of the james to operate on the enemy's lines of supply he concludes with these words quote, the feeling of the two armies now seems to be that the rebels can protect themselves only by strong entrenchments whilst our army is not only confident of protecting itself without entrenchments but that it can beat and drive the enemy wherever and whenever he can be found without this protection Unquote. these words are the key to his whole subsequent campaign he threw away no more advantages from a spirit of hurry or of pugnacity realizing the full value of his enemy's works he opposed his own to them henceforward and in his constant effort to force his enemy to a point where he could fight him in the field he stretched his line always to the left till that of his adversary in the attempt to follow broke and the confederacy crumbled in instantaneous ruin End of chapter 15. Recording by Warren Cotty, Gurney, Illinois.